Welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. You who are here for big church, you want to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Then in a little bit, we will flip over our Bibles and we'll be looking at Luke chapter 22. Today is a message. Uh, it's part of our, if you, um, uh, just to update you, we are amidst a 40 days of prayer and fasting for our church. Two weeks from today, we're having our fall revival with evangelist Ronnie Hill from Fort Worth, Texas. And he's going to be here. We'll have it uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evening, and in a daytime service on Tuesday. We'll have a revival services that you are certainly and your family and all sorts of folks are invited to certainly attend. So what we are doing is we are looking at different sections of the Bible talking about spiritual renewal, talking about how God certainly can and does move in our lives in preparing for revival. And I believe today's message is going to be one that you have never in your life heard on. And that's going to be about a place a significant place in the Bible called the upper room or the room upstairs we're going to see. You've heard all about it. Usually you hear about it when we observe the Lord's Supper, but you've probably never spent a lot of time saying, what are all the different scripture passages that talk about the, this upper room? And how is it significant in my life today? Because I believe if you don't have an upper room or some type of important place in your home that you would regularly go to and meet with God, go to and pray that in expectation of the Lord to move, it will be very easy for you and your family to just drift along each and every day and never really spend any time with the Lord because you know, we're creatures of habit. I mean, think about it. You check your mail. You probably eat breakfast or dinner in the kitchen at the same chair at the table. You feed your dog or cat at the same little area. I mean, there's just things we do in our life that we just are just patterned by. We just do the same old thing every day, same old place. We don't even think about it. And I believe prayer, the location for prayer is certainly the same. If you make a commitment today saying, oh, I'm just going to start having a quiet time and start meeting with the Lord sometime this week each day, and you haven't decided where that place is going to be, folks, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. But we're going to see here in the Bible that it did happen because there was an upper room here in the, in the Scriptures, and these disciples... Even Jesus, they would regularly meet at the same location and miracles and movements of God occurred because they were in this upper room here in our Bible. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Now, I want you to have a bulletin. and I want our internet folks to have one too. So hopefully you received a bulletin. You want to pull it out. If you're not, you need to run the back real quick. You've got time. And grab a bulletin because I'm going to be referencing some of these scriptures here in your bulletin about the upper room. And you can look up all these Bible verses with that. We um, are always surprised when something unique happens. And I have been to many stores before in my life, as well as you've, we've all been to stores. And if you go to a very expensive store, 
especially a store that sells like little glass figurines that small children can break. There will be a sign usually somewhere that says, if you break it, you pay for it. So, and we always see those signs, and if you have your children, you want to make sure you hold on to those in the store. But I, have, over all my years, have never actually seen a store hold someone accountable for breaking a product in their store. Maybe you have, but up until this week, I had never seen that happen except for this week. This was the first it happened. I was in this store, and I'm going to tell you what store. It wasn't a fine store at all. And you're going to laugh when you hear the name of this store. But they actually held their, this child accountable. It was Dollar Tree. In fact, it's actually called Dollar 25 Tree now. I was in Dollar 25 Tree now this past week. We were buying our items for our backpacks, Christmas backpacks, this week with the children. And I couldn't believe what I witnessed. At, at Dollar 25 Tree, they sell balloons. And the helium balloons are there, and you can buy a balloon. But one balloon at this store in the balloon aisle, it was really low in helium. It was really down towards the ground. Now, there was this little boy. Thank goodness they were not my children. I can honestly say these weren't my children. But there was this little boy. He was about six or seven years old. Now, if you're a seven-year-old boy and you're walking around Dollar Twenty-Five Tree and there's a balloon that's a little low in helium, it's down towards the ground, and you're seven, what do you want to do? You look at that balloon and you think, I need to step on this balloon. The boy stepped on the balloon. The balloon popped in the store. It made a loud sound. Everybody saw it, heard it. And I could not believe this lady. The employee turns around, and because she witnessed and heard it right there, he popped the balloon. She looks at this, and the mother was like 10 feet away shopping, wasn't paying attention, of course. And she, she looks at the mother and says, Ma'am, your son's going to have to pay for that balloon. I watched him pop it right there. He owes, me a, he owes our store $1.25 for that, for that balloon. She said, and the whole store heard this. And never in my life had I witnessed this. She actually held the mother accountable. She said, yes, ma'am. She, she was embarrassed. I mean, she knew the evidence is right there. He's standing right there. Now, I actually watched this lady. I thought, she, that's got to be a church lady, as bold as she is. I mean, that's somebody she's got to go to a Baptist church somewhere. So she spoke right up. And that lady had to pay $1.25 for a broken balloon, and she did. I could not believe it. Now, that was the most unique story I've ever seen in my life, shopping with uh, somebody breaking something, and the employees actually guide on to them for that. And it was the most unusual location of all um, for that to occur. I believe the story we're about to read here in Acts chapter 1 is very similar. We don't, a lot of times... We read these stories in the Bible, but we do not believe they're actually going to happen to us. It's like when we go in the store and it says, if you break it, you pay for it. Oh, it won't happen to me. I'm not going to break anything. I'm not like that. But in this story here, the Holy Spirit moves among the disciples. Jesus does something. He says something that's absolutely true. Now, the location of this event that's going to occur is in a place in the Bible called the Upper Room. The Upper Room is where the first Lord's Supper occurred. And then later on in this message, I'm going to show you in the Bible all these other places, all these other events that occurred in this exact same room in, in Jerusalem, in this Upper Room. So open up your Bible here. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. 
while he, that's Jesus, was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Okay, when, when we get saved, you come and you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're, and you are saved for an eternity. That's what the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 talk about. The Holy Spirit saves and seals you. We call that eternal security. You do not lose your salvation. If there was something the devil could do that could cause us to lose our salvation, he would do it, but he can't. So we're sealed for Jesus all the way to heaven. So then after that, then you receive what we call believer's baptism. Here, this is John's baptism. They were going to the Jordan River, and they were coming and getting a baptism of repentance. And that's representing your old life going down and your new life coming up. You're dying to Christ when you get baptized. But then Jesus says, okay, you've been baptized. And I want to tell you, if you have not been baptized here this morning, when we offer our invitation, you need to be running down the aisle saying, I want to get baptized. Our next baptism service is scheduled for Wednesday, October 26th, during revival, our last night of revival. We'll have baptism here. If you need to be baptized, you need to let me know, and you can get baptized that night as well. And it says here, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. He's saying, you just wait right here because something is going to happen. Jesus, the Bible tells us, was resurrected on the third day. Sunday morning, he came out of the tomb. And the Bible tells us that he stayed on earth for 40 days. And he appeared, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us he appeared to 500 people during his resurrection. And then roughly 10 days after, maybe 7 days after, the reason we know this is the Passover occurred. And then 50 days after the Passover is called, called Pentecost. So Jesus on day 3 was resurrected. And then he lived here on, he stayed on earth after his resurrection for 40 days. So that's about day 43. So that meant about seven days later, Pentecost would occur, and that's when the Holy Spirit would come. So that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, in a few days, you just hang around. You're about seven or eight days away, and something is going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father is set by his own authority. You know, that's kind of like a question. If Jesus was here right now, one of the temptations we would ask, say, Jesus, when are you coming again? Tell me the days and times. I want to know when the second coming is coming. The Bible tells us it's not, we don't need to know that. There's certain questions you don't ask God. There's really two questions you don't ask God. Number one, you don't ask, when's Jesus coming back again? Because he doesn't want us to know. Because if we knew the date and time, that's not advantageous for us. All we need to know is Jesus is coming again, and you need to be ready. You need to be prepared for when Jesus comes back. The second question we don't ask God, if he was sitting right here, is say, Jesus, when am I going to die? 
Like, that's another question you don't need to know. It's not for, you don't need to know the date and time of your death. Like, you know it's going to happen, and you know Jesus is coming back again. You just need to be ready for both of those. That's it. That's all the Bible tells us on both those issues. Just be ready. So that's kind of what they're, they're asking the question you should not be asking God. They're saying, when are, when are you coming back to restore the kingdom? Verse 8, he says, here's how he answers it. But you, disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. Meaning, yeah, I'm coming back, and you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. So we're going to come back to that word power, because that occurs in the upper room. After he said these things, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is what we call the ascension. This is on the Mount of Olives, right there outside Jerusalem, on a little hill. Jesus is there talking, saying, the Holy Spirit's coming. Y'all just be ready. Wait right here. And there he goes. He goes up in the clouds, right before their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand, stand around here looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going. Meaning, Jesus went up in the clouds. Folks, Jesus is coming back in the clouds the same way. He is coming again. That is a remarkable thing, what happened. Jesus is alive right now. And when this occurred, this ascension, we are in this time period where Jesus is in heaven and we are waiting for him to come back again on the clouds. Now, so what happens is they are commanded by Jesus. Do not leave Jerusalem. You need to wait something is going to happen. So it says in verse 12, when they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away, that means down the hill. It's not the, that's like walking from here to New Circle Road. A Sabbath day journey means you can't walk very far on Sabbath. So they're walking down the hill back into the city. When they arrived, they went, look at this, look at this location. They went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Now, here's the 11 disciples. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. You say, where's why 11? Remember, at this point, Judas Iscariot has committed suicide after he denied Jesus, so he's dead. So there's only 11 disciples right now. They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Do you know where these folks went? They went to this place called the upper room. Something is about to happen in this room. So I want you to keep your finger here in Acts chapter 1, and I want to tell you where we are first introduced to this upper room. Turn your Bibles over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, this is the first example, and this is where we find the upper room. This upper room is so significant. And it's so much more than just a location. This is the place where Jesus first had his Lord's Supper. Jesus washed his disciples' feet in the upper room. Jesus made multiple resurrection appearances in the upper room. And in fact, in the upper room, the Bible tells us in John chapter 20, the, second multi, the first time he came and appeared to disciples, a man named Thomas wasn't there, and he told the other disciples, I, I don't believe you. 
I don't believe Jesus until I see the, the, the nails in his hands and in the, in the, in his feet and the scars on his side. I won't believe. Well, a week went by, and Jesus, they were still there in this upper room. And Jesus appeared to them. And the first thing he did, he turned to doubting Thomas and says, Hey, Thomas, come here. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Stop doubting and believe. Do you know where that occurred? In this upper room we're about to read about. And it says they were meeting on the first day of the week. Do you know when that is? Folks, that's Sunday. That's today. The first Sunday worship service occurred in the upper room. What we are doing right now actually started in this room I'm about to show you all. It started in this little room. And then it just keeps on going. In this upper room in Acts chapter 1, they were meeting there, praying right after Jesus was ascended into heaven. And then later on in the book of Acts, it says they had to have their, really in many ways, their first business meeting. They had 12 disciples. One was dead, so they had to replace them. So it says in the upper room they met, and it says they, there was 120 of them there. They had their little church business meeting. They cast lots. They had put two men before the Lord. They prayed about it. They fasted over it. They cast lots, and it fell to a man named Matthias. The twelfth disciple was fulfilled in this upper room. Look at, look at Luke 22. This is where it came from, this place. And I want to tell you why this is so important. Because in our spiritual lives, there should be a room in your life, in your house, somewhere that you regularly go and meet with God for revival. Because if you don't have a location, it won't happen. The location, the location is part of your preparation for meeting with God. I want to tell you, if you don't have it, the devil will keep you so distracted and so preoccupied with other things, you'll never have an opportunity for prayer and for the Lord to speak into your life. Look here in your Bibles. Luke chapter 22, verse 7. This is what we call the Passover. What is the Passover? The Passover is the tenth plague in the book of Exodus. These plagues occurred because Moses and Aaron would appeal be, uh, appear before Pharaoh and say, if you don't let my people go, all the Hebrews were in bondage. They were in slavery in Egypt. And, and Moses is there saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh had a really hard heart. He was a hard man. He would have probably been that guy at the dollar store, Dollar Tree, he says, you're paying for that. You broke it. I mean, he was just a tough man to deal with. Nobody, nothing gets by with him. Well, on the 10th plague, God said, the firstborn baby, bo baby boys are going to die unless you take the blood of the lamb and paint it over your doorpost. Well, of course, all the Hebrews, they put all over the door, their doorpost, and the Lord passed over the Hebrew homes. That's what the word Passover meant. And all the other children, the Egyptian children in Egypt, the firstborn males died because they did not believe the Lord. Well, Pharaoh had an older son, and he woke up in the middle of the night, and his son is dead. That one miracle is what forced Pharaoh to finally give in and release the people and send them to out on the journey to go worship the Lord, and then they ultimately went through the Red Sea. The Lord, Moses parted the Red Sea with that. So what happens is Jesus is having what we call Passover in the spring. This is the time that he died. It's usually in late March, early April that we remember this miracle 
of, of the, the Hebrews being set free. And what it is, when we took the Lord's Supper, I think we did Lord's Supper here two or three weeks ago, we did that here, we're remembering the Passover. We're remembering what, what they're doing. This is the meal they're having. We, the Jewish people call it a Seder service today. Verse 7, Then the day of unleavened bread came, when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. This will be the final meal with his disciples. And look at the location. Where do you want to go? Where do you want us to go to prepare it? They asked Jesus. Listen, he said to them, When you've entered the city, that's Jerusalem, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him to the house he enters. That's unusual, but anyway, they're showing up at the gate. A man's walking around carrying a water jug. That's your clue. You follow that man. Watch where he's going. Go stalk him. See where that man goes. He's going somewhere. So he sent him on a stalking mission, Jesus did. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? They don't even ask, can I borrow your room? They're like, they just assume. Where's the room at? Because we're going to have a Passover. Just go ahead and point to the direction. They're at this large house that has a room there. This is, this is God making arrangements. But this room just keeps coming back in the scriptures. This is how we're first introduced to this room. He says, you go there in verse 12, and he's going to show you a large furnace. That meant it had tables and chairs. Upstairs room. There's this room upstairs. That's what we call the upper room in our summer Bibles. Make the preparations there. In this room is where you're going to make your preparations. So they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover in this upper room. This is the room that all of these miracles we see, including the first Sunday worship service, the first Lord's Supper with his disciples. This is the room that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. This is the room that Judas Iscariot stood up and left in the middle of the mill and went and betrayed Jesus. This is the room that Jesus would walk through the door at the resurrection and appear to his disciples and say, it's me. He didn't open the door, he just walked through the door. He's a resurrected Jesus. This is the room also that the Holy Spirit came to. And this is the room I'm about to show you where that the first New Testament revival happened. It started in this room. Right here in the upper room. If you kept your finger in Acts chapter 1, if you look at chapter 2, look at chapter 2 in your Bible. Acts chapter 2. This is what we call Pentecost. Pentecost started in this room. In fact, I have a picture of this room right here. If you go to Israel today, now understand, this is the room, what it looks like. This is the upper room. Now, remember your history of the world. Israel, Jerusalem, was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. The only thing remaining left is what we call the Western Wall, which is a buttress wall to the temple. It's a supporting wall. That's why all the, the Jewish folks there are praying at the Western, also known as the Wailing Wall, because it's rem remembering their past. 
They're going there crying over the wall. So the rest of the city was demolished. This is a rebuilt room. This actual room is not where Jesus was standing on the floor right there. It got all rebuilt since then. But it very likely was about the same location of Jerusalem. So somewhere in this area was this room that we're talking about. That Jesus had one central location that these miracles in the Bible, a mighty movements of God would occur. They were in this room, and Jesus had told them in Acts chapter 1, you stay here in Jerusalem. So they would just meet right here, and they would pray. They would cry out to God. They were anticipating this power Jesus was going to do. And it says, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. They were in that room right there. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. In this room started what we call Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Folks, that came and filled that room. Those folks were in a strategic location because at that time there was this Jewish festival called Pentecost. There's three Jewish festivals. Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles that Jewish men had to travel back to Jerusalem three times a year and worship at the temple. Well, this is one that was typically celebrated in early June. And they're meeting there And sure enough, all these people are in town. And the Holy Spirit shows up. And they start speaking in tongues. They know these different languages. So people from outside of the Hebrew language would start hearing people like Philip and John speaking in a foreign language. These men of Galilee who did not know it. And what were they speaking? They were hearing about Jesus The Bible tells us Peter stood up right there, probably walked outside the door. They're all talking in tongues. 3,000 people were saved. The church, which started out with about 500 people, because that's how many people Jesus appeared to, in one day exploded sixfold into 3,000 people. That's a revival. That is the first New Testament revival we see. Where did it occur? In that room right there, among the disciples, the Holy Spirit came at this central location that the Lord had chosen to keep working at. Why is this important for you and I? Because if we want to experience the same type of revival, power, and excitement of the Holy Spirit, folks, I believe the most important room in your house is an upper room. Now, this room here, I want to tell you where it came from because Amazingly, the Bible tells us where this room came from. It's in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. And I want to tell you who it is. You don't have to turn there, I'll just tell you. In Acts 12, 12, this is on your little bulletin insert. Say, who owned this room? Where did this house come from? The second gospel in the, in the New Testament was written by a man, a man named Mark. Mark was a disciple Mark had a mother named Mary. 
And it tells us here in Acts 12.12, what occurred during this time is that Herod, King Herod, it says the Christianity, the church was growing. So he didn't like that. So he went and arrested James and Peter. And then he executed James. James was the first disciple to die. And he saw that really pleased the Jews. And he was about to chop Peter's head off. But it says in Acts 12, 12, that they were all meeting together. And they were praying for Peter. He was in prison at this point. And in the middle of the night, all the church was meeting at one location, praying. And we'll tell you all where that location is. The Bible tells us. They're meeting in this location, praying for Peter. In the middle of the night, his chains fell off of him. The shackles come off his the doors of the prison bust open. He walks out, just walks out of the jail, like free, scot-free. Where does he go? He went to this room here. He went to this upper room. It says he came and knocked on the door, and they didn't believe it was Peter because he was supposed to be in prison. He says, I'm Peter, I'm free. He knew while they were actually actively praying for him, he was delivered from his chains. And I believe the principle for us, this room, the Bible tells us in Acts 12, 12, that that room was owned by a, a, a Mark's mother, Mary. So apparently, back in Bible times, on top of home, she had a large house here in Jerusalem with a big, big enough room to ha- hold 120 people, and this is where the early church first met. And it was a place of prayer, it was a place of revival, it was a place of Jesus' resurrection, it was a place of the Lord's Supper. It was the first worship service that we're practicing now continued on from this room right there. And I think the principle for us, location matters. Because what occurs in our life is if we don't have a location in our home, that most important upper room for us, we will not regularly meet with God. They knew, the early church knew, if you needed to pray, if you need to meet with the Lord, this is where you are to go. This is the place that Christians first gathered right there. And I think the principle for us is I believe a lot of us We're not experiencing the power and great movements of God because we don't have a regular meeting place with the Lord. Folks, it just doesn't happen. You just don't, the devil keeps us so busy. We have so many things to do. So many things are mine. If we don't don't have the location already pre-established and prepared, Bible laid out, prayer guide on the table, just waiting each day for us to meet with the Lord, you never will. Now, back in Acts chapter 1 here, Jesus told us something happened in this room. Go back to Acts 1.8, because we can't miss this Bible verse. Acts 1.8 tells us, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. That, this power showed up in this upper room. This is when the Holy Spirit first came upon them. This is important here, because I believe a lot of times we are as just we're going through our spiritual life dull. We just don't feel the presence and power of God in our daily life. And we're wondering, God, why don't I experience these things? Well, I read these stories here the pastor talks about in the Bible, and I see this, but this doesn't happen to me. 
I don't have revival. I don't see these type of answers to prayer. I'm just trying to get through the next day and pay my bills and go shopping at the dollar 25 store. It used to be a dollar. I mean, you're just getting there fighting off inflation, trying to make it by, and you're wondering, where, where is this power at? So when you look at Acts 1.8, it says you receive this power from the Holy Spirit. I believe God is talking about two things here. With this power, we're not talking about getting saved. We're talking about when you regularly pray and fast and seek out the Lord, He gives you a power to do and to be a type of person that's different. And here's why. Power's talking about you have this increased passion for God. You aren't bored at church. You're not looking at your watch waiting to leave. You're not thinking, what's for lunch? It's after 12. This service starts too late. People who are filled with power have a desire and passion for the Lord. And I think that's what he's saying. It's a deep conviction of who you are. These people who met in this room up here, they knew this is where we need to be. This is where we meet with God. Number two, it says, when you have this power, it says in verse 8, you will be a witness. That means you become bold. You have a boldness that you used to not have. Do you know any spiritually lost people? Of course you do. The Bible tells us if someone is not saved, they are spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. They're not saved. The Bible calls that eternal, as the KJV says, damnation. Our Bibles translate that as hell. People who are not saved are not going to heaven. We receive a boldness for the Lord that people who aren't saved need to hear about Jesus. And who's the one who tells them? We are. God wants us to be bold in our witness. And he tells us in verse 8, you're going to be this witness in Jerusalem, being right here, then Judea and Samaria, that'd be like the state of Kentucky, and then just the ends of the earth, that's everywhere. Just go somewhere. There's lost people everywhere you go. I promise. Yes, God calls many people to be missionaries, but He calls all of us to start in our home, start in our neighborhood, start at work and school, college, and be a bold witness for Jesus. And that's the power He's talking about. I want to tell you, in closing, one of the greatest mistakes, I think, what occurs in testimonies. You know, we don't do a lot of testimonies here like we used to. Testimony time is when you come and share. I want to tell you, if you ever have a testimony, you need to tell me. Pastor, I've got a testimony, I've got to share it. Testimony is when you need to share in three or four minutes of what your old life used to be like and now what your new life is like in Christ. That's a testimony, the saving power of God. Every single one of us should have a testimony about Christ, how he saved you, if you're saved. But sometimes you'll hear people tell testimony. And I know they have good meaning, but I don't think they quite understand what they're saying. You'll hear somebody say, for example, they'll say, I have a drinking problem. I'm still an alcoholic, but I don't have to do that anymore. Christ has saved me. I, Daniel, um, am a sex addict, but I don't have to do that anymore. I, Daniel, uh, am addicted to drugs, but I'm not going to do that anymore. I'll worship the Lord. 
Now, there's something wrong with that. What you're doing is you're placing your identity as, yes, maybe I had this drinking problem, and I still, I still have it, or I still wrestle with it. And you're saying, that's my identity. When someone gets saved, the power of the gospel is transformation. It is actually possible for Jesus Christ to save someone who's a drunk, a sect addict, or a druggie to completely save them from that identity. That means they are no longer that person. You should not say, yes, I'm this person, and I'll also this. No, Jesus has saved you from that person. That's no longer you, your new identity. This is what the whole book of Colossians is about. You're struggling with this. Read that book. Your new identity is Christ alone. That's who you are. You are in Christ. You are no longer that man. You're no longer that person. You're, he has picked you up out of the miry clay. And he set you on firm, standing up on solid ground as a new man and a new woman. That's the transformational power of the gospel. And folks, that's what happens when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to believe, no matter what someone is struggling with, no matter what issue they have, no matter what sin they're wrestling with, do you know Jesus Christ is actually powerful enough to deliver anyone of sin? Folks, if he wasn't, that meant the devil would be more powerful than the gospel. And he's not. God and Jesus are more powerful and can overcome and break any satanic bondage in someone's life. Any, any ongoing habitual sin they're dealing with. He can do it. He, the Bible says he is able. There's nothing the Lord can't do. And we now find, as Christians, we now find our new identities in the power of the gospel. And I believe this morning, wrapping this up, if you are here and you want to experience this power that the Bible's talking about here in Acts 1-8, folks, I believe it's going to be in your daily routine and in your, in your upper room, in your home. If you don't make preparation, if you don't have a place, if you don't regularly meet with God, just like all these people did in that room up there, regularly just going through what they did, meeting with Jesus, miracles were occurring, lives were being changed, the Holy Spirit came, same old location, it will not happen in your life. Here's how I want to close our service. We are amidst of our 40 days of prayer. I'm going to, I'm going to close with our prayer, God. I hope you're praying along with us. We're on day 22, so we're over halfway. Say, Pastor, I didn't even know about this. You've got 18 more days. You grab a prayer guide, you get one on our website, and you pray along with us, leading up through our revival, praying for the Holy Spirit to move. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to close our service here, praying this, this verse. And today's, our, pa our, our focus is on boldness. How ironic here, boldness is coming from Acts 1.8. And the Bible tells us in Acts 19, verses 8 and 10, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. 
So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him, and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you that Paul was so bold, even when he met opposition, he didn't quit. He just moved locations and met for two years at a lecture hall preaching the gospel. And people were getting saved. Lord, I pray in our lives we will have an upper room. We will have the most important place in our home that we regularly meet with you. Lord, if we don't make preparations and plan it out, it does not happen. Things just don't happen by accident. Revival comes because they were planned and prepared in the upper room and they were obeying your word, praying and fasting, anticipating. And Lord, that's what we pray today. Lord, our churches, we're going through this. We pray for a mighty movement for you. Lord, we pray we will be an upper room church that regularly sees miracles that occur here. God, I pray if there's anybody here, the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of salvation. Lord, maybe there's some folks here that have not found their identity in you. They're still looking at their past. Lord, I pray they will walk this aisle and take my hand and say, Pastor, I want to get saved. I want to be bold. I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm ready to get baptized in a couple weeks. The revival. Jesus, I pray that your spirit will move in this invitation. I thank you for what you're doing in our wonderful church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have our invitation. I'm going to ask Zach Bauer to come up here and stand with me. Folks, let's all stand up. And the way we close our service, I stand down front. Zach stands right here. You make your decision. You come take my hand. Say, Pastor, I want to get saved. I want to join this church. I want to get baptized. Now is your time to be bold and respond to God.